Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. We really are honored to be with you. And it's, it's you know, I hear things like what Hunter said. And um, honest to goodness, it just, it, you know, if you understand the gift of God, the gift of God is something that God gives you. And you know, many times we judge people by the way they are behind this thing. That's not, that's not me. That's not him. Uh, there's, there's something that God gives. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 4 said that when Jesus ascended on high, you know, Jesus is declared to be the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, or shepherd and the teacher. And when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. Where did he give those gifts? You know, he doesn't need those gifts in heaven. Those gifts came upon him when he came up out of the water at the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit came upon him and God put within him what was necessary to function. Jesus himself attributed everything he did to the Holy Spirit. He said, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Acts 10, 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. It doesn't say that God anointed Christ of heaven. It says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, his humanity. And because God anointed him, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. He never stopped being God, but he laid aside his divine privileges, as second chapter of Philippians tells us. So when Jesus ascended, where did he... Where did he get those gifts to distribute? From within himself. He took them from within himself and he's distributed them. And, you know, God has chosen some people to have those gifts, but he's given his Holy Spirit to everyone who obeys him, according to the book of Acts. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to build us up if we're one of those five. I'm just simply saying that Anything that has happened through me that has helped people, it's been by God and not by Rodney. I like to say it's been by God and not by Rod. <laughs> or it's been by the Lord and not by the Lloyd. <laughs> and so we, we have to give honor and praise to God. If we don't, then we're foolish. And so we really are honored to be here. We're delighted to see, you know, what, uh, what's happening here. It's always good to see what's happening here. Can I see the hand of every person here who is imperfect? Hey, that's good. We're in a, we're in a great group of people. <laughs> you know, your standing in God cannot be improved upon. You are accepted in Christ. You are in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. My identity is not American. My identity is not white. My identity is in Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm not even a white Christian. I'm a Christian. <laughs> you know, if, if there's neither Jew nor Greek, but we could, always say, we could also say there's neither black nor white. There's, there's neither male nor female in Christ. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So our standing is unimprovable. I mean, you're no more in Christ tomorrow or less in Christ today. If, if you get angry with somebody and just really bless them out, you are still in Christ. And you're no less in Christ because you did that. Now, you need to sort that out, but you don't lose your standing in Christ. But there is a standing. There is, there is something that is improvable, and that's our maturity. And I want to talk to you today about growing to maturity. Uh, God expects us all to grow. That, I mean, that's good news. That's good news. My wife tells me to grow up regularly. <laughs> and I'm really trying. I tell her when I grow up, I want to be like her. Except for the areas where I don't want to be like her. <laughs> many, many people people have the idea that the Christian life is about two events, 
the new birth and going to heaven when we die. If that's all there is, then the best thing that could have happened to us is that the day we were born again, God would kill us. Because if there's nothing to being a Christian except being born again and then going to heaven when we die, then what about the, in my case, I'm over 50 years old in Christ. I met Jesus over 50 years ago. So if nothing, if there's nothing except being born again and going to heaven, then I've wasted over 50 years. Why delay? Let's go. No, there's much more. God left us here for a reason. He left us here for influence. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world around us is in trouble. Always has been. Did you know the world, the world was in trouble even when it didn't look like it was? Did you know a person who, who doesn't cuss, who doesn't drink, who doesn't smoke, who doesn't fornicate, who doesn't lie or cheat, and who's very generous and kind... If that person doesn't know Jesus, he's as lost as the drunk, as the fornicator, as the malicious person. And so we have a tendency to look at people and discern, do they know Jesus or do they do not know Jesus because of their morality or their immorality? And, and that's a false thing. So God wants us to grow. We're here for influence. Um, as a matter of fact, Peter wrote in his first epistle, he said, just like newborn babies. Now, unless you are brand newborn again, or unless you have recently come out of a womb and you can't understand what I'm saying, <laughs> you're not a newborn baby. But as newborn babies, you know, babies are born hungry. You know, both of our children, the moment they were born again, they attached to mama's breast. Why? Because they were hungry. That, that feeding tube had been cut <laughs> and it was time to eat. Speaking of hunger, I'm ready for one of those back to school burgers. <laughs> so just like a baby desires food, there should be a desire for us to have spiritual food. As newborn babies, even if you're not a newborn baby, as a newborn baby, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And there's also meat. Because the scriptures talk about the meat of the, of the word. So we should desire to eat spiritually because we need to grow. We need to grow. What does growth looks like? Growth look like? The, as we grow, growth is not a matter of taking in knowledge. That's a piece of it. A lot of people think, well, if I know more, I grow. Well, not necessarily. Maturity looks like Jesus. As a matter of fact, the destiny of our earth walk is to be like Christ. Nobody's there yet. But that's where we're headed. To be like Jesus. And so we want to grow. And so I mentioned those five gifts. And, and Ephesians 4, if you've never studied Ephesians 4, and I'm sure you have, it says that Jesus gave those gifts And he, he describes them, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or shepherd, and teacher. You all say a pest, which is, that's fine. I can be a pest too. Um, I say apept to make us adept. In other words, God wants you to be adept at this walk with him. And part of that is he's given five ministry gifts to equip you the New Living Translation says to equip God's people to do his work. And it says that when we are being equipped, we will grow into maturity. And it, it, it puts it in these terms. 
Um, to you all come into the unity of the faith. Unity of the faith. We have unity of the spirit according to the earlier part of Ephesians 4. We have unity of the spirit, but God wants to bring us into the unity of the faith. Unity of the spirit is uh, that uh, the spirit is not going to lead me to do something and use something that is conflicting as far as the purposes of God. The Spirit leads us the same. The unity of the faith, I believe, is when we all come to the place in our various giftings because we're all different. We're all different. I mean, we are very different. I mean, you can even look at those five ministry gifts. I've known several prophets. And I mean, they're, they're very different. They're different in personality. They're different in the way they prophesy. They're different in the way... The, the primary function of a prophet one of the primary functions is to lay a foundation like the apostle does. They're the foundation layers, but vastly different. Well, Christians are vastly different. And the way our gifts are, the, the way we function is different. And I believe the unity of the faith is when there is such a cooperativeness between us that through our various giftings and ways, we're all moving towards the same goal. Even if it's flavored differently. I mean, this is not the only church in town. Jesus has only one church in town, his church. <laughs> and it's flavored differently. And if this is where God wants you, you ought to be here. You know, we tell visitors in Detroit that come to, to visit, if they're new visitors, we, we, we put on the screen six sticks Six sticks side by side. Have you ever seen sticks? And we say stick six. If you want to know whether or not this is the place God wants you, come back at least six times. Stick six. Kick the tires. Sit down on the seat and smell the new leather. Find out if this is where God wants you. And I want to tell you something about every church that God puts you in. There's going to be things there. There's going to be people there you're not crazy about. Do you know that there's a potential? There is a potential that the reason Caleb is sitting here is because somebody else is sitting back there and they just don't want to be... I mean, have you ever had to sort out differences with Christians? Nah. Have you ever had to sort out differences in marriage? So the unity of the faith, God wants to bring us to the unity of the faith. He wants to bring us to a full, intimate, comprehensive knowledge of the Son of God. Do you know there's more about Jesus that I need to know? In other words, I need, I need to know him. I mean, the Apostle Paul, that was a pretty sharp dude. And yet in, in the book of Philippians, he says, I, I, I look at my pedigree. I look at everything I've done. I look at my heritage. I look at my study. I look at all of it and I count it as rubbish that I may know Christ yes. and be found in him. Yes. Not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that is of faith. Yes. I want to know him. I want to know him more. I want to know him more intimately. to the knowledge of the Son of God, to, a, to come to a perfect. That word perfect really means mature or full grown. God wants us to be mature and full grown. And he wants us to come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, when it talks about stature, it's not just talking about your height and everything. It's talking about your footprint, your influence. God wants your footprint to increase. He's not I'm not talking about your shoe size. I'm talking about... He wants the impact, the influence of your life to be more significant. Not that everybody will think you're somebody important. When God called Abraham and told him to go to a place that he didn't even know where he was going, he went out. And God said, I want to bless you so that you will be a blessing. He even said this to Abraham. He said, I want your name to be great. Now, it's not ego. 
In other words, did you know that God would not mind that the people in your neighborhood have your phone number right next to the fire department? And over it, it says, if you're in trouble, call Joe. If you're in trouble, call Sally. Because they know you know God. That's making your name great. That's influence. God wants us to be influential in our neighborhood. As a matter of fact, the Great Commission... The Great Commission is not hanging out with Christians. We need to hang out with Christians. The Great Commission is to make disciples of every people group. In other words, you live where you live because of people around you that need Jesus. You work where you work because there's people around you that need Jesus. That's another subject. But it's the subject. I actually think this. I think that Jesus' last commandment, which was the Great Commission, should be our first priority. For every believer. For every believer. You're the most significant identity that all of us have is in Christ. If you're an electrician, you are an electrician in Christ. Or you are in Christ as an electrician, but in Christ is your primary identity. And that could fit for every profession there is. Now, if you want to put Colossians chapter 1 up on the screen, Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 in the New International Version, it says, He, talking about Jesus, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Those in your life that are your spiritual leaders, they labor. What does Paul say? He said, to this end, I strenuously contend with all of the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Why? To present you fully mature in Christ. Paul, when he talks about the trials and tribulations... He goes through, he ends it by saying, add to this the daily troubles of dealing with people. And he wasn't complaining. He was talking about that's the reality of life. You know, we're all excited about having having babies. (laughs) And we love babies. But did you know, in order to bring a baby to full maturity... It takes energy, it takes money, it takes time, it takes focus. Your first disciple is your child. Did you know it's not the obligation of this church to make your kids spiritual? You are your child's first minister of child ministers, is what I'm trying to say. Minister of children. You're a children's church leader if you've got children. And... This is supplement. But the one hour here on Sunday ain't going to fix your kids. It's just not going to. So, so that's very important. In other words, why do we labor? We labor to, to bring you to the place that you'll be mature in Christ. To present you mature in Christ. And you can put up Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. Christian Standard Bible. So then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. Do you know how to grow? Walk in Christ. Walk in Christ. Live out what you hear. If I'm preaching on forgiveness this morning, how do you grow in forgiveness? Forgive. I'll talk to these people for a while. If you want to know how to grow in forgiveness, forgive. You want to know how to grow in love? Love. What's the first quality of love? Sacrifice. I mean, Bible love is not puppy love. Bible love is not, God loves so much that he sacrificed the most important thing to him. The most precious thing to him. We grow by doing. 
So then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted, rooted, rooted. Can you see roots? No, but you can see the fruit of roots or the lack of roots. Being rooted. It's three-dimensional. Rooted, being rooted and built up. If you're rooted, you'll get built up. In the Old Testament, twice it talks about a remnant that is remaining. They'll take root downward and they'll bear fruit upward. If we're lacking fruit upward, it's because there's no root downward. We need to get rooted. And you don't get rooted casually. You know, the Bible promise box on the, on the kitchen table ain't going to get you rooted. I mean, if that's your Bible study, that's a nice verse. That bumper sticker or that fridge magnet with a verse on it. I'm not opposed to fridge magnets. I'm just saying that's not going to get you rooted. You know, the Bible talks about the elders who are worthy of double honor. One of the qualifications of being worthy of double honor is to labor in the word and doctrine. But that's not just for elders, it's for every believer. As a matter of fact, if you want to look at the qualifications for elders and deacons, it's not super Christian. What Paul is saying, okay, if you're going to have elders and deacons, they ought to at least be like this. It's standard Christian behavior. Because if, if it's just for elders and deacons, then you can just be a drunk and have 14 wives. It's standard Christian behavior. There's not one standard for preachers and another standard for others. In other words, and, and I'm not being upset with you at all. I'm, I love you very much. <laughs> I'm strenuously doing this today. No, it's okay. Notice he says, being rooted and built up in him and established, established in the faith. What does established in the faith look like? It looks like Jesus. While the disciples are apoplectic about the storm, Jesus is asleep. They wake him up and he says, peace be still. It's like Smith Wigglesworth. You ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? That name will wiggle you a bit, but. <laughs> Smith Wigglesworth woke up one night, felt an evil presence. He looked at the foot of the bed and standing at the foot of the bed was Satan himself. And Smith Wigglesworth said, oh, it's only you. And went back to sleep. That's established in the faith. God wants us established in the faith. And you get that by walking, by living out what you know, living out what you hear. That's why James said, be doers of the word and not just hearers. I mean, James will kind of curl your hair and you'll get angry as you study the book of James. You'll get so angry. He'll talk to you about your tongue. And they say, you bless God one moment and you're cursing your brother the other moment. He said, these things should not be. I mean, really, James, I mean, I taught the book of James in Bible school for three years. And there, were more than, there was more than one student got angry with me. Well, I'm not teaching. I, it was James. Get angry with him. <laughs> I'm just reading the Bible to you. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. There's a reason to be taught. Just as you were taught. And then he tops it off by saying, and overflowing with gratitude. You either have gratitude or you have grumbling. And so many people don't get that. So many people live in the, I wish I... Why not? I don't understand. Well, you don't need to. Just be grateful for the little you have, and someday you may have more. 
But if you grumble about the fact you don't have more, you're probably not going to get more. Eat your spinach and enjoy it. <laughs> so the reality is, is if we don't walk out, listen, hear me, this is so important. If we don't walk out what we learn, we're not going to grow. We're not going to grow. If I get angry at my wife and refuse to forgive her, if I get upset with her, and I refuse to deal with it. My progress has stopped. When I refuse to do what I know to do. You know what the Bible calls that? Sin. Second word right there. Sin. It says those who know what to do and don't do it, it is sin. I mean, there's sins of, of, of commission. The things we do can be sinful, but the things we don't do that we should do are also sinful. So if we don't walk out what we have received, then we don't grow. I will talk to you about practical growth. Several years ago, I was looking at Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Other translations say by a word from Christ, either one. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by a word of God. And one evening in, in 2008, my wife gets upset me when I start putting dates, but I remember that. I was sitting in a cottage in South Africa. I was preparing to preach on Sunday morning and I read Romans 10, 17, which at that time was not even in the message. And I read, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the Lord spoke a word that said simply, if all you're doing is hearing, faith is not growing, it's only coming. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he said, what do you do with that faith when it comes? What do you do with that faith when it comes? Let me tell you what faith coming sounds like or feels like. You're in a meeting, you're, someone's preaching, someone's teaching the word. And when faith comes, it, 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 it's, there's an excitement. Yeah, yeah, amen, amen, brother, preach it. <laughs> but if that's all you get, you're not going to grow. Right. So many times what happens, we forget about it after lunch. When we hear what God says, faith comes. And with that faith comes revelation. What's revelation? I know this is heavy, but just watch. This is what revelation means. Okay, now watch carefully. You're going to get a revelation. It's an uncovering. The light comes on. I see it. That's exciting. But revelation without application results in the termination of the revelation. Revelation without application, without doing it, results in the ending, the termination of the revelation. In other words, if you don't put into practice the revelation you get on Sunday morning, it's going to die. You'll forget it. That's what James said. He who hears the word and walks away and forgets is like a man looking in a mirror and he forgets what he looks like. Revelation without application results in the termination of the revelation. If all we're doing is hearing and hearing and hearing, faith is not growing, it's only coming. When we put into practice what we hear, then our faith grows and it's developed and matured. You know, and, and sometimes faith is applied in tough situations. 
I mean, you know, we like to read Abraham, but we, everything you read in the Bible is with hindsight. They didn't read it. They didn't, they didn't hear it with hindsight. They, all, they, all they had was, God spoke to me. I got to do this. It says Abraham went out not knowing where he went. I mean, we want the whole roadmap of our life laid out. What's this going to cost me? Everything it's going to cost you. It says that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Not going over or around or under. Not pole vaulting over. See, we get the idea that living by faith is that God's going to protect me with no trouble. <laughs> you want no trouble? Go to heaven. There is no trouble there. There is no trouble in heaven whatsoever. If we faithfully attend church services, Bible seminars, go over our notes again, listen to the messages again online, that alone will not make you grow spiritually. You can get very excited. As a matter of fact, if, if that's all you do, your head will swell, but it won't impact your heart. You'll think you're somebody because you know something. And this is why so many times Bible schools destroy people's lives. And education. Do you know why every college graduate, I remember when I graduated from college, I had the, I had the world by the tail. No, I didn't. <laughs> I just thought I did. Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. You get built up by acting in love on what you know. So you really don't grow here. This is important. You ought to be here. As a matter of fact, you should never casually miss church. If you wake up on Sunday morning and you're too tired, get in the car and get here. If you wake up in the morning and you got a headache, get in the car and get here. You, you just don't feel all that good. Well, get here. It's like the person said, well, I can't come to the healing meeting because I'm sick. <laughs> Go figure. Well, I don't want to spread anything. God will protect everybody. You made it through COVID the 1% pandemic. <laughs> Never mind, that's another subject. <laughs> Faith comes by hearing what God says. Faith grows by doing what God says. It's simple. God speaks and what happens? Faith comes. You want to grow? We obey. Faith grows. That's right. That's right. God speaks, faith comes, we obey, faith grows. God speaks, faith comes, we obey, faith grows. And I tell you what happens as we step out in faith, as we see God do amazing things simply because we obey, what happens? We build up a trust account with God. Why do I trust God? Because I've seen, you know, three years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. Simple cell. I can't remember the full name of it. It's a long name, but it was renal cancer, kidney cancer. They, they removed the tumor, one fourth of my kidney. It was, it was robotic surgery. And the doctor was excited. He, he thought he got it all. That's why I took out a fourth of my kidney because he wanted to make sure. Six months later, there was some metastasis into my abdomen and I went uh, and I never had chemo. It was targeted therapy and uh, the other word, immunotherapy, immunotherapy. A year later, the cancer was gone. It's still gone. And, you know, we trust God. And I don't have time to go through all of that. And, uh, and then in... April of 2022, one morning I woke up with what I thought was a crick in my neck, and the next morning here was my head. My head was like this. 
And if it was going to come up, it was going to come up like that. I went to three neurologists. I was diagnosed with an incurable disease called dropped head syndrome. I had to wear a neck brace. I refused to wear it around the house because I was not giving in. I made a decision. I am not living the rest of my life with my head like this. I'm not going to live the rest of my life in a head brace. How can you say that? Because I know it's the will of God that I'm healed. How do I know that? Because Jesus bore my sicknesses and he carried my diseases. He did it. He did it. Just like he bore my sins and it's not his will for me to sin, he bore my sicknesses. It's not his will for me to be sick. So we still the word Nita, bless her heart. She's such a good wife. She is a wonderful wife. You know, I go to bed at uh, early, usually. <laughs> I go to bed earlier than her. She's a night owl. I'm an early morning person. It's always been like that. I've tried to fix her, but it doesn't work. (laughs) She doesn't need to be fixed. That's just her. And so she told me, I think this was before the manifestation came. Every night she would get in bed, she would pray. She would speak to my neck. She would speak to other parts of my body that have not. I'm free from cancer, but the, the, the immunotherapy messed me up in certain areas. But I'm going to be healed of all of that as well. I have been healed. I'm going to see the manifestation. But anyway, I'm just saying that she just would speak to my neck. And so back in November, one day I noticed at the house I could get my head up. And then the next day, everything was fine. So I haven't had to wear a brace since November. And my neurologist, (laughs) we thank God for that. He did it. I didn't do it. I didn't do that. And the neurologist, when I went to him and told him four times, he said, impressive, 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 impressive. And I asked him, I said, you're sure I had dropped head syndrome? No doubt. He said, I asked him, I said, have you ever seen it reverse? He said, never. Now he's seen it reverse. And that Jesus did that. I didn't do that. Jesus did it. So when we, when we obey him, we don't give up. And the storms come, the troubles come, the issues of life come. You know, and, and I, I simply put it this way. If you die serving God, I want to tell you something. The moment you see Jesus, you don't want to come back to this ball of dirt. And once we get there, we won't miss anybody down here. Nobody. We miss them, of course. <laughs> but we don't miss anybody here. I mean, we, we're with Jesus forever. Everything's cool in heaven. Perfect temperature. No heat waves. No tornadoes. So God speaks, faith comes, we obey, and faith grows. I want you to hear this in James chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. This is one of those places where James really could upset you if you're not careful. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Uh Uh-oh. I wonder how James would have gotten along with Paul. Anyway. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do Do you see that faith was working together with his works? Faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect or mature or full grown. Well, are James and Paul in conflict? No, they're not. Paul was arguing against the works of the law. He said, nobody is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul was arguing against the works of the law. James was arguing for the works of faith. Paul was dealing with the root of our salvation James was talking about the fruit. He was simply saying, if you have really have faith, you will really have works. It'll show up. There's no conflict whatsoever. Faith without works is dead. You know, let me just give you, it's kind of humorous, but it's important that we understand. You know, you can imagine the best buffet in the world, wherever that is. And you've never been there before. And you're visiting maybe from another country and you go to this buffet and you just can't believe they got a breakfast buffet that you can't believe. And you just go and you fill your plate, you pile it on, you sit down. 
stuff yourself and you hear they have a lunch buffet too. So you just hang out in the restaurant waiting for lunch, waiting for lunch. And so then what happens? You go and you just pile it on and pile it on. You pile it in and pile it in. And then you hear they have a dinner buffet. So you decide you're just going to hang around all afternoon and wait for the dinner buffet. So what happens? You just pour it on the plate and pour it on and you pile it in, pile it in. Do that three or four days and I promise you, you will grow. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Son Jesus, wonderful. Thank God. In other words, that's what happens to people. They just stuff and they stuff the word and they never do anything about it. Wow. And they get spiritually fat. And they're unteachable. Oh, I know that. Have you ever, I mean, isn't it exciting when you counsel somebody and you tell them what the word says? Oh, I know that. Oh, that, well, that's exciting. Well, maybe let's switch sides of the desk and you <laughs> tell me what to do. <laughs> I'm just saying that this is, you know, it, you, you don't grow. And Jesus, in the, third, in the fourth chapter of John, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go through. I don't think he knew why until he got there. He just knew, I got to go through. You know, Jesus didn't know the ending from the beginning when he walked the earth. He knew it before he came. He laid that aside. He knows it now. When Jesus walked the earth, he did not know the day of his return. He knows it now. Because he's back in the God state, but now he was living in the human state. He would never stop being God. He just laid aside his divine privileges. But that's another subject. In John chapter 4, Jesus was weary. So he sits down by Jacob's well. And the disciples go get food. And while they're away, a woman comes. And so he begins to read her mail. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, all sorts of things begin to operate through Jesus. And they come back. And they see Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. Verse 31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Verse 33 said, therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought anything for him to eat? Jesus said in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's happened to me. I've been weary. I have been weary from doing what God has asked me to do. And all of a sudden, there's an opportunity to minister to somebody. But I don't see it as an opportunity. I see it as you're keeping me from getting rest. But I give myself into it. And the Spirit of God begins to flow. And there's energy that comes. And when I'm finished, guess what? I'm strengthened. I have food to eat that you don't know about. Jesus was weary, but by pouring himself. See, this is why tiredness is a cop-out. Are there times we need to lay down? Yes, there are. And you should not feel guilty about that. But when God opens a door, tiredness is no excuse. So, he said, my food is to eat. So let's answer, what does food do? Food does four things. It nourishes us, it strengthens us, it sustains us, it satisfies us. Food nourishes, it strengthens, it sustains, and it satisfies. Are you nourished? Are you strengthened? Are you sustained, satisfied? If not, it may be that you're not doing his will. And finishing his work. There's energy in doing the will of God. There's labor in it, yes. I mentioned forgiveness earlier. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Forgive one another even as God forgave you. We, we run past that. Forgive one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, what does that mean? You know, I could, I could tell you how much of a reprobate I was before I met Jesus. I did horrible things. I cursed God. I made fun of Billy Graham. And what Jesus did, he saved me. 
And he saved me so much that that stuff is no longer an issue because my repentance fixed all of that. His salvation fixed all of that. So he, he doesn't forget it. He, he remembers how big of a dog I was. When the Bible says our sins and iniquities, he will remember no more. That doesn't mean he blots it out. He can't blot out anything from his mind because he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knew it before it did it, and he knows it after the fact. What does it mean? It means he won't bring it up as an accusation. So when I forgive you the way God forgives me, what happens? I look at you, you dirty dog, you. Knowing full well what you've done. And I forgive you to where the pain is no longer there. That usually doesn't happen in an instant. Did you learn how to ride a bike the first time you got on it? No. What happened when you fell off? I can't do this. I'm never going to drive again. No, you got back on. And you stuck with it till you could ride a bike. Same with forgiveness. I want to tell you, if somebody's hurt you badly, you can forgive them, and it keeps coming back. You forgive them again, and it keeps coming back. But you say, no, I'm going to obey God. God, you told me to forgive grace. Lord, I need your grace. They hurt me so bad. But I want to forgive them to the extent that you forgave me. How do you grow in forgiveness? By forgiving and sticking with it until the pain is gone. I was playing sandlot football when I was about 12, 13 years old. And I was, I was rushing the quarterback and I didn't know he had baseball shoes on. Ooh, baseball cleats, not the soft kind, the hard kind. So I lunged for him and missed him. And he accidentally, I'm convinced it was an accident, he stepped on my hand. And that thing became putrefied, infected. And you know, it's interesting. I still have a scar. But the pain is long gone. What is a scar? You remember it, but the pain's gone. So I can sit down. I can treat you like it never, ever happened. Did you know why Jesus can fellowship with you? Because he treats us the way as if it never, ever, ever happened. Ever happened. Now that's forgiveness. You say, well, they don't deserve forgiveness. Nobody deserves forgiveness. <laughs> well, I would be merciful to them, but they don't deserve it. Nobody deserves mercy. It's undeserved. He's an amazing God. Yes. See, you can't grow by yourself. You cannot grow unless you're part of a local church. You just can't. You, God is not, Jesus said, what I build, the governments of hell are not going to prevail against. When Peter had the revelation that he was the Christ, the son of the living God, he said, I'm going to build you on the revelation of who I am. And what I build, then the governments of hell will not prevail. Well, he's not building us as individual monolithic separate from others, stones. He's building us as living stones, knit together. Just think of a, a wall that a stonemason does. He takes the stone and says, well, that don't fit. He chinks off some bit. Oh, yeah, that'll fit. Do you know to fit in with everybody, some things are going to have to chunk off you and those? True testimony, true story of a leader. He now lives in the United States, but he led a church, had a large leadership team in South Africa many years ago. And they met every Monday morning at 6 o'clock. And they started the day with playing rugby at 6 o'clock on the beach. And after an hour of rugby, they had breakfast together. And then they spent the rest of their morning talking and sharing and praying. He, he had a revelation. If you don't learn how to play and eat together, you're not going to grow together. 
One of the most spiritual things we can do is have a meal with other believers. And you, it'd be good to invite some sinners every now and then. They might catch what you've got. And so uh, all I'm saying is, is that there are times that, you know, God brings onto the team some people you would not naturally bring onto the team. God brings into this church some people you wouldn't naturally welcome. But don't end there. There's, there's room for growth. There's room for development. You're thinking that about them. No, no telling what they're thinking about you. <laughs> you know, Will Rogers, the great American humorist from the, I think he lived in the early 20th, if not late 19th century. He said, I never met a person I didn't like. Well, I've met some believers he never knew. <laughs> I mean, I've met Christians that just sour me. Not that, not, I mean, I witness they're a believer sometimes, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying that it's a reality of life. We meet people that just, just not our kind, but they're Jesus' kind. He wants to change them and he wants to change you. He wants to make us, but he wants to build us together. I'm, I need to hurry. There are three sure indicators of maturity. Three sure indicators. I'm not saying these are the only ones. Number one, my primary focus is no longer on my rights and privileges, but it's now it's my responsibilities. If, if, you, if you fight for your rights, then it's immature. I'm, I'm, I have my rights, I have my rights, I have my rights. Well, God maintains our right and cause, according to the book of Psalms or Proverbs, one of those. My primary focus is no longer my rights and privileges. Secondly, my me time takes a backseat to God, others, and kingdom purposes. In other words, if you live for me time, then you're not growing. And people teach all sorts of twisted things about love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, you got to love yourself first. You know, you got to make sure that you're taken care. You got to take care of number one. Well, who is number one? It should not be you. <laughs> and then thirdly, although the Father is always there for us, as I mature, my primary focus on him is no longer he's there for me, but Lord, I'm here for you. What you got in store for us today, Lord? God's always there. He's a very present help in the time of trouble. He's very present even when there is no trouble. But if I live focused on what he can do for me, then that's not healthy. I'm here for the Lord. Lord, what do you plan for us to do today? The more kingdom equipping we receive, the more we will live on mission. Serving, winning, and discipling people. Watch Jesus as you read the Gospels because Jesus is what maturity looks like. And our destiny is to be like him. So I want you to close your eyes, not to be religious, just to block everything out. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he prayed, he opened his eyes and looked up to heaven. We close our eyes and bow our heads. And I can't find that in the Bible. It doesn't mean it's a sin to do it. It doesn't mean it's wrong to do it. It's just interesting that we've, chose, we've chosen a, a posture of prayer that's not in the Scripture. So just close your eyes for the sake of blocking everything out. I believe in your heart of hearts, even if you're not aware of it. Even if you're upset by this message. I believe in your heart of hearts, you really do want to grow. You want to grow and become mature. You want to, the leaders of this church, you want them to be able to present you fully mature in Christ. That's what God has placed on the table today. And let me just say there's grace for that. For Abraham to leave his father's house, to leave his family, to leave his country and to go to a place that he had no idea where he was going. 
he stepped out and that's where you discover grace. There's grace to accomplish everything that's beyond you and me. What happened with Abraham is God took him beyond himself and he did it by the grace of God. God wants to take every one of us beyond ourselves. I like to look at grace like this. There's grace which is redeeming grace. That is God doing, bringing us salvation. God doing something for us we could not do for ourselves. And then there's accomplishing grace. Accomplishing grace is God's ability for me to do what I cannot do in the natural, what I don't have the ability to do. God asks us to do impossible things. He asks us to do things that are daunting, that are sometimes just downright scary. But there's grace, and if we decide in our heart, we're going to take t steps to do, like forgiveness. Maybe God revealed, or you know. Maybe you've been carrying this thing around. Unforgiveness is a burden that you can't carry. You just, you're, you're not made to do that. Unforgiveness will sour you. It'll turn you. And what you're doing is you're holding something against somebody. Hunter, would you come up here, please? I want to, I want to use an illustration. Pastor Hunter, I'm sorry. <laughs> Face that wall. I want you to look at me. Now, I haven't listed all the things he did against me, but here's a few. I mean, he was, he was rotten to the core, and he really, I mean, he, he came and stayed at our house, and our, Nita's expensive jewels were gone. Guess who number one culprit is? Back before we were married, he stole my girlfriend. He borrowed my car once, brought it back filthy, and the tank empty. <laughs> so <laughs> here's what unforgiveness looks like. I'll show him. Now start walking. I'll show him. Go wherever you want to. I'll show him. I'll show him. Doesn't bother me. I'll show him. When I refuse to forgive, I'm tying myself. I'm attaching myself to a person, and my filter is him. Everything he does bothers me. I'll show him. I'll show him. Or I have a choice. I can forgive him and let it go. And I set myself free. Now, if, thank you. And none of that was true. <laughs> I want you to be honest this morning. If, you've got, if, you, if you're challenged with unforgiveness, you know, God showed me something not long ago, somebody I really, really need to forgive. Because every time this person showed up on Facebook, mm, 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 that's a good sign. You got to let something go here. If there's something in your heart against anybody and you want to release it today, just stand where you are. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. And you, you, you may have to do this again. Because <laughs> like, like I said, it, but you got to be willing to work at it. You got to be willing to work at it. Now do what we did earlier. Hold that person in your hands right in front of you. Close your eyes and see, see that dirty, rotten, whatever he is, she is. No, you've got to stop thinking like that. This person is precious before God. And Jesus went to the cross for them. If it's a sinner, if it's a believer, Jesus went to the cross for them. And he's paid the price for that person's forgiveness. And he's given you grace to forgive them. I want you to pray this prayer after me. Say, Father God, in Jesus' name, forgive me for walking in unforgiveness. I repent. I choose by the grace of God to release this person, to forgive this person. I give them to you, Lord, and I freely forgive them. Now just toss them up in the air like you're giving them to God. Just throw your hands up like you're giving that person to God. Say, God, they're yours. I forgive them. I sow seeds of love towards them. Forgiveness, kindness, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. There is freedom in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.